relentless, God's passionate pursuit. I've been asked over the years, uh, Glenn, uh, are you ever going to write a book? And I said, no, I'm not a writer. I'm an old farm boy. I'm not the son of a writer or anything like that. I have said, though, if I ever did write a book, and this is maybe back 20 or 25 years ago, I would entitle the name of the book, The Pursuing God. Uh, Tozer's written a book called The Pursuit of God, but I would call it The Pursuing God. And so I have in my hand a book. Guess what it's called? <laughs> it's called The Pursuing God. My name down here, however, isn't found. All right? I came across this in Portland, Oregon, when I was teaching in a Bible school up there for a couple of weeks. But this is what it says. And some of the songs that we were singing today, this is what it has at the beginning. The Pursuing God is the title. A reckless, irrational, obsessed love that's dying to bring us home. That would be Yahweh. God has a name. And he's desperately pursuing uh, people. You wouldn't be here today if he hadn't pursued you. I looked up the word uh, reckless. Or re reckless is one word, but relentless. Relentless has to do with the idea of, uh, well, here are, here are synonyms. Unyielding, persistent, uncompromising. God has this passionate desire to pursue sinners like you and me. He found us in all different kinds of places in our life. And and his love, the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, drew us to himself. And so I want to talk with you today about that. And uh, so I want to read to you a, a story. A story about a woman. A woman by the name of, of Hagar. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. That was a practice of the day, as many of you know. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. Sarai treated her harshly. Some versions say she treated her abusively. 
and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her. Maybe he pursued her, huh? By a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Further, behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man whose hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. And she called the name, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You're a God who sees. And she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber Laharoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Birid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when he bore Ishmael to him. Now when you study the Bible, you find a lot about angels. Sometimes they're given names, as we know, especially in like the Christmas story. But when you come across this little phrase, the angel of the Lord, uh, most theologians feel that it's a reference to Christ before he became flesh. And we call this a theophany. And so basically what a theophany is, is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to the human senses, in its most restrictive sense, it's a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament period. And it applies only to Christ and means, similarly, the appearance of Christ. And what I would like to share with you this morning is, is that when we read the Gospels, we see the Lord Jesus touching many people involved in their life, pursuing people, uh, his relentless passion to see them come to know him. But he's always been that way. And he was that way with this woman, Hagar. And maybe her story is your story. The Hebrew name Hagar means one who flees or one who seeks refuge. Literally mean, her name means flight. The story of Hagar and her son Ishmael is a story of, of millions of exploited, trafficking, trafficked, disabled, rejected women and children in our world. But like this woman here, Yahweh hears those cries. As a cry of a child never goes unheard by a mother who has her ears always in tune to that. So God is always attuned to the cries of your heart and my heart. 
Hagar lived around 2000 B.C. She was working in a foreign land as a domestic servant now for a rich man by the name of Abram. Hagar became pregnant and she was cast out of her home. She was an Egyptian slave. We don't know much at all about her. All we know is that Pharaoh gave her to Sarai. And so I want to share some principles with you this morning uh, from this particular uh, story that we find here, and then we'll read something in Genesis chapter 21. Here's the first thought is this. God allows things to happen in your life and my life that we cannot comprehend. That's not news to you, but it's certainly uh, pointed in, in this particular thing, in this story that we have. He's infinite, we're finite, we'll never know all that he's up to. But I can tell you this, he understands your dilemma. He understands what you're going through. And it tells us here in verse 16, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her. I want you to put yourself for just a moment in Hagar's skin. Let me just share a few thoughts. She was sold as a slave. She was transported from her birthplace in Egypt and taken away from her family. She was, maybe you could say, well, she probably slept with Abram willingly. Probably not. She was made to sleep with Abram. She becomes pregnant. She was treated harshly. And she has to run. Running no less in the wilderness back to Egypt. Back to her homeland. Can you imagine the danger if you were in her spot? A single woman pregnant in the wilderness? What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? What would you be wondering about yourself? If there is a God, does he have any interest in me? Maybe that's what you'd be thinking. She's not a Jewish person. She's an Egyptian. And her future and her whole life are in utter jeopardy. That's the truth. And it's not her fault. There's a lot of things that happen in our lives that are not our fault. Some things we bring on ourselves, don't we? And then there are things that are not our fault. And Hagar was one who found herself in there. But listen, God is attentive. And he often reveals himself when we least expect it. Who's the initiator in this little scenario? God is the pursuing one. He's the one who comes. Here's a second thought. God knows all there is to know about you, about me, about the world, about everything that is ever going to happen. He knew everything before it was even created. The end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. And he knows your particular name. Isn't it interesting? The angel of the Lord says, Hagar. 
Jairus made. Where have you come from and where are you going? Like he didn't know? No, but he wants her to answer the question. Because he desires a, a relationship with you that's personal, not something out there. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Here in Zimbabwe, every time anybody meets me, he says, are you well? <laughs> we say, are you fine? You know, you know things like that. But are you well? Well what? My body, my soul, my spirit? You know. Where you come from, Glad? Where are you going now? When are you heading home? And so he asked questions and go, the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, in this theophany, this personal appearance, uh, speaks to her. An Egyptian, an Egyptian servant, no less, and a woman, no less. But God, in his mercy, pursues her and found her. It's, notice, did you see that there in verse there? It says he found her. Um, in the back of the book it says, is God lost? <laughs> and then it goes through and it's, it shares a little bit. And then the question is, do we want to be found? <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to be found. We don't want to be found out. But God's the seeking God. He's the saving God. He's the relentless God in your life and my life. You don't know what the next week's going to hold, the next month, the next year, the next scan, the next this, the next that. But you can know for certain that God knows, that God hears. He knows your days, He knows your ways, He knows your pain, He knows your fears, He knows your tears. He puts them all in a bottle. He knows your insecurities, he knows your habits, he knows your temptations, he knows your bents, he knows your failures, he knows your hopes, he knows your dreams, he knows you inside and out, totally. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? What are you up to? What are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? What you going after in your life? And so God meets her there in the wilderness. She doesn't even know if she's going to make it back to Egypt or not. Here's a third thought. God tells you things you don't like to hear. What does he tell her? <laughs> Go back. <laughs> Now, she wants to go home. She's just been cast out. She's just been treated abusively. And the angel of the Lord, God himself, says, Return, verse 9, to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Amazing thing here is you don't see her arguing. Some of us are good at arguing with God. Huh? She just goes ahead and, and does it. Go back. There are things that happen in your life and my life when taken in isolation do not make sense. Are you with me? But you see, God's got the big picture. He knows what's going to happen. 
in the future. He's a God of providence. It comes from pro-video. means that God sees the things ahead of time. Aren't you glad? He knows. You don't. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways, greater, more perfect than yours and mine. If God hadn't found her, she wouldn't have survived. I was 30 years old and a compulsive gambler, a blasphemer, exerciseaholic, a healthaholic, a few other holics. <laughs> if he hadn't found me, I'd have never made it. I'd ended up the streets of Las Vegas or I'd have gambling or I'd have been dead or something. Divorce for sure. I'd have never made it. But God picked me out of the pit I was in. Everything looked good on the outside. I was coaching, I was teaching, I just won a basketball championship and all that. But inside, I'm empty. And I knew if I died, I'd go straight to hell because that's what I deserve for what I, the way I was living. Secret things in my life. But everything is open and laid bare to the one with whom we have to do. Just lay it all out with him. He can handle all of your issues, all your problems, all your struggles, all your whatever. He already knows it, so just be honest, be real before him. And so what he does in your life and my life is he tests our faith. Go back. Submit yourself to a woman who just treated you harshly. Because you see, we always want out of those kind of circumstances and God puts us in those kind of circumstances to teach us some lessons, to humble us, to sharpen us, to mold us, and so on. We want easy street and he wants us to trust at deeper levels in our life. Remember when I was here back in April, my title was, Can You Trust God for the Big and the Small Details of Your Life? And then I asked you a question at the end of my message. I changed only one word in it all. And I said, will you trust God for the big and the small details of life? Oh, can we? We would all say, yes, we can sing about it. You know, we can dance with it. But will you when the bottom falls out of your boat? When you lose a child? when your mate dies, prematurely, so to speak. You know, he tests our faith. Because God is good, he wastes nothing in your experience. And because God is wise, he will not leave us alone in our pain. He'll come to you in the midst of your pain, your struggles, and so forth. Now listen carefully to this. Hagar would never have known God like this were it not for the trial. As she's on the run, going back to Egypt, fleeing and so forth, the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus himself, comes and reveals himself to her and talks to her, knows her name, tells her exactly what to do, and, and she follows suit. And so sometimes we, he asks us to do some difficult things. What he wants us to do is to get into the yoke with him and learn from him. 
Your major problem and my major problem is that we want to control everything. You like to control other people, I do too. Problem is we have a hard enough time controlling ourselves. Some of us have very little self-control, but we like to control everything else around us. No. He wants us to get in the yoke and learn that he is gentle and humble in heart, and then we'll find rest for our soul when the, struggling, the struggle gets so bad and you finally give up and give in, and then you learn how to rest. <laughs> You see, scriptures tell us it's good to bear the yoke in your youth. If you can't submit to your to uh, children, can't to parents, to teachers, to coaches, to authority, you'll find yourself someday in a dead end street. Here's the fourth thing: God sees your affliction and your pain. Now I want you to turn, if you would, to chapter twenty-one. Of Genesis. Because Hagar goes back. And look now in verse 9. Of chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible. Just, just listen for a moment. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian. Whom she had born to Abraham mocking. And if you read up earlier now. Isaac is born. Ishmael was born when Abram was 86. 13 years or so now later, Isaac is born. Remember, he's through Abraham's seed. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And now Isaac is born. Verse 10, Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son. For the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid I will make a nation also. Because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning. <clears throat> Remember now, he had become, uh, this was his son too, Ishmael. He had become attached to Ishmael. Ishmael is now 14 years of age, or thereabouts, 13 for sure. And all, this is what he did. He took bread and a skin of water, whatever a skin of water is, <laughs> And gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. This is the second time now. And she departed and she wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. She's heading back to Egypt again. Just like the first time. When the water in the skin was used up, you know, this is not some lush uh, flowing rivers and things and so forth like that. No, it's a harsh land. She sat down opposite him and the boy, uh, she left the boy under one of the bushes and she went down and sat down opposite him under a bow shot away for she said, 
do not let me see the boy die. It's that desperate. Those of you who have children, those of you who have grandchildren, you do not want to see your child or your grandchild die, do you? She didn't want to see her boy of 14 die. And so she sat opposite him, and all knows what she did. She lifted up her voice and wept. She poured out her heart. And God heard the lad, this 14-year-old boy crying, verse 17. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness. He became an archer, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God sees your affliction. God sees your pain. And in the midst of that, he'll come to you and he will be what we call uh, the comforter. Jesus said, I will not leave you as a bunch of orphans. I'm going to come. The comforter's going to come and he's going to teach you all things. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your guide. He's going to be the one you can count on. She's been cast out again. She's in the wilderness. Her child is dying. She leaves Ishmael. She doesn't want to see him die. She prays. God hears. And God asks the question, what's, what's the matter? Hagar has no way to care for her son. There's no child support. There's no shelter. She's in the wilderness. And her son's dying. You ever find yourself in a situation kind of like that? Don't, can't make ends meet? Don't know where you're going to turn, what you're going to do? Cry out. In the front of my Bible, you know, I was here in, in uh, April. The Lord woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning with this verse. I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul, not 195 times he had received lashes. Jesus, 39. Paul, 195. His body, you wouldn't even want to see. Look at it. He took his shirt off. And I, I wrote down, took my pen off, and I have 20 things that are marks of a follower of Jesus in my Bible. The first one that I have is one who pleads or cries out to God. You never get into the kingdom of God unless you cry out. Never. Blessed are the poor in spirit for those for it is the kingdom of heaven. That's the way you get into the kingdom. That's the way you get to know the king. And so she lifts up her voice and she 
cries and God hears. There's a story of a pastor in the States who had a very, very large ministry. He had an unbelievable speaking gift. They called him a pulpit giant. And then he lost his voice. What do you do when you're a pulpit giant and you lose your voice? He went from one end of the United States to the other trying to find a cure so he could get his voice back. His ministry completely came to a halt. Finally, he found someone. He had an operation and uh, got his voice back. A friend who had known him for 25 years said that was the best thing that ever happened to him. He said before he lost his voice, he never understood people's weaknesses and he never understood their pain. His messages now are filled with some compassion. God takes you through things according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 so that you can comfort others with the same comfort that you have received from God when you went through your affliction. So Paul says there, we had the sentence of death within ourselves that we should no longer trust in ourselves but God who raises the dead. So God puts you through things and me through things so that we learn to trust Him. I don't know all my weaknesses, but I know some. And I understand men. I know your weaknesses, I know your temptations, I know your sinful tendencies, I know your failures, I know your tears, I know some of your responsibilities, I know your different roles, I know the pressures that you face in being a provider, a husband, a father perhaps. Here's the last thing. God reveals himself through our trials, through our pain, through our struggles. He plans things out way in advance. Her being cast out these two times and so forth, there wasn't some accident. God knew all this ahead of time. Arise, lift up the lad. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. You know, she, she named that place earlier on her first trip out there in the wilderness. Uh, the words that you find there is El Roy. And you know that as far as I know, she's the only one in the Bible that gives God a name. El you know, you find El Elyon, El Shaddai, all those kind of things. But she names him here the God who sees. She gives him a name. This Egyptian slave. You don't find anybody else doing that in the scriptures. But Hagar. She's a hero. Some don't think that, but she really is. He opened her eyes and said, you're going to have a great nation. You, do you know, I was reading this morning in, in uh, the book of Isaiah, the uh, 60th chapter. Um, 
Listen to what listen to what this says. Isaiah chapter <clears throat> sixty starts. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. It's a glorified Zion, is what it's talking about. As Isaiah looks out into the future, and listen to this: all the flocks of Kedar will be gathered together to you, and the rams of I can't even hardly pronounce it. Ni Bioth will minister to you, and they will go up with acceptance on my altar. Those two names, those two guys, those are the two sons of Ishmael. So in the glorified Zion, you see the descendants of even Ishmael there. God in his tender mercies. He's a God who makes promises and he keeps every single promise because the promise in Genesis chapter 12 is through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So, so uh, Isaac, 12 tribes of Israel, but also through Ishmael. God sees, God hears, God knows. The last slide uh, that you're... Well, there's, there's one more after this. Uh, go back to this one. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who sees me. And uh, the well that she saw there, the Lord Jesus is our well. He's our well of hope in our hopelessness, of strength in our weakness, of peace for the troubled, of provision for the needy, of forgiveness for the fallen, of restoration for the broken, of salvation for the lost, and you could go on and on and on and on. Because he is the I am. That is his name forever. He'll be whatever you need. If you can humble yourself and come to him and cry out to him. But most of us, especially men, we're too, we're, we're very... Uh, self-sufficient. In America, we say rugged individualism. Be a man. Handle it yourself. Do it. You, you, you don't find that here. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with the Father as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then he goes on, So then, my beloved, we are to work out. You are to work out. Not work for your salvation. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure, not your personal happiness, for your, his good pleasure in your life and my life. Uh, I have three little questions. Ian's going to turn the switch so you can put up all three of them. There, Ian. Oh, Craig's doing it. God's pursuing you. What are you pursuing?
trinkets, the gloss, the glitter, the stuff of this world, the cheap merchandise that it has to offer, or treasures. You're either hoarding it down here or you're storing it up there. There's nothing in between. <laughs> and so often we're going after trinkets, little cheap imitations, or treasures. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. It's an impossibility. You can only serve one. So pick your master. That's the first duty of every single person. Who's your master? Who's running your life? Who's in control? Is it happiness or holiness? What you going after? Is your goal as a parent to make your kid happy or to make them holy? There's quite a difference. Not to make your kids happy. That's the grandparents' job. <laughs> it's not your job as a parent. It's to train them up in the fear and discipline and admonition of the Lord. That's what you're going to be held accountable for. Uh, last one is this. Are you seeking the temporal or the eternal? You, you've got a book back on uh, the shelf back there. I think it's a free copy. I actually picked one up the last time I was here. I like it when it says something free. It says, Driven by Eternity. I sometimes ask when I go to the gym, because I, get in, I go to 24-hour fitness every day when I'm home. I don't have muscles like some back here. But... Uh, <laughs> You can see them underneath this, can't you? I mean, they're just, you know. <laughs> they're massive. They're massive, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I get to know a lot of people. I, I, I know a lot of names. I have a, a gal that goes to the gym. She comes to our church. She's an Asian gal. Um, we pray for people at the gym. She knows 200 people in the gym by name. And she's an introvert. But she has a passion for evangelism and building relationships. She's, she's quite amazing, actually. And uh, I'm a friendly chap. So I talk to people all the time. In the gym, nobody talks to you. They just lift and look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they do. I mean, honestly, some guys, there's mirrors all the way. <laughs> I said, what are you looking at? You think it's going to change with five reps? <laughs> but that's, that's what they do. It's just what you do. It drives me up the wall. Come on, get a life. You know? And if they're not, they're on their phone. They don't talk to you, they don't look at you, they just look at themselves and talk to them, whoever they're talking to. But I talk to people. And so sometimes when I get to know them and so forth, I'll say, hey, Josh, how you doing? Just, are you well? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and say, hey, Josh, what happens after you take your last bath, breath? I don't know. <clears throat> Eternity begins. When you take your last breath, and my pacemaker quits, and my heart stops, Eternity begins, and I meet God. It's appointed for Glenn to die one time, and then the judgment. There's no reincarnation. Then I stand before the judge of all the earth. 
And I'll close with this. I preached a sermon at uh, Bible Baptist here just a couple of weeks ago from Romans chapter 8. And uh, my whole sermon was five unanswerable questions. Listen. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Got that? God did that. I'm already seated up there in the heavenly places. Then he asked this question. What shall we say to these things? Here's the first question. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how will he not truly give him all things? If he died for us when we were sinners and rebels and enemies, how about now that we're his kids? Man, easy to get a wrong concept of God that he's a withholding kind of a God from us. That's one question. Second one. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Well, I suppose the devil can put some thoughts in your mind. You can condemn yourself and people can condemn us, but it holds no water. Period. God is the one who justifies. Third question. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, who was rather raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also prays for us. And then, who will separate us? Come up with a name. Who will separate Greg, Glenn, and Craig, Sarah, and Ian, and any of you raised? Who will separate us from the love of God? Huh? Will trip Christ? Will tribulation and stress or no? No, no. Now, all these things were super conquerors. Through him who loved us. Yeah, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nothing is going to separate you because he is pursuing God and he will hunt you down. He will put his arms around you and embrace you. In your fears, in your pain, in your hopelessness, because that's the kind of God he is. He pursues. The smartest thing you could do would be to pursue him. Let's talk to this pursuing God. Father, we, we come to you because you came to us in the person of your Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld your glory, John says, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No man has seen you at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained to Thanks for coming to us so we might know what you're like. And we can read through the praises, especially of the Gospels. And we can see your passionate pursuit of people. A woman who had five husbands, and the one she was now living with wasn't her own. Ah, but you entered into a deep conversation with her. 
and you revealed yourself to her as the living water. And she was so thirsty, she was hungry for reality. She was hungry for something that could satisfy the cravings in her life, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, relationally, spiritually. And you did that for her. And you'll do that for every single one of us. All you said to her was, give me a drink. You initiated as you did in Hagar's life. You approached her, you knew her name. You know all about every single one of us here. And I, I would ask if there's anyone who uh, finds himself today like uh, you found me when I was 30 years of age. Empty? Fearful? Putting on a facade, everything's sweet on the outside, so to speak, but the inside, like you told the Pharisee, Lord Jesus, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside, that's what's important to you. What's beneath the surface of our life is more important than what's seen. And it's there in the inner recesses of our hearts and our thoughts and our minds that you are at work. Trying to get our, our attention. Trying to help us work through all the distractions so that we might see you. Ishmael means the God who hears. Haroi, the God who sees. You hear us. You see us, and we want to see you, Lord Jesus, at deeper levels. So thank you for my friends here and, and Harvest. Um, continue to help them have a passionate, relentless pursuit of you, the God who pursues us. Amen.